You're listening to New Churches Podcast, a production of Send Network on newchurches.com. We discuss all things church planting. If you're looking to take your next step toward multiplication, you're in the right place. Newchurches.com provides relevant and reliable resources for church planters, church multipliers, and disciple makers. Our growing library features pastors, planters, and church leaders like Ed Stetzer, David Platt, Trillia Newbell, Christine Hoover, Dahati Lewis, Trevin Wax, and many others. Hey, welcome to another episode of the New Churches Podcast. Uh, we're so thankful for those of you who listen. Um, I was actually speaking at a church last week. I do this, I'm doing this Talbot Small Church Tour. I'm the dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Ed Stetzer is my name. And this church planter was there. And he started by introducing me. He said, I never told you this before, Ed. And he's introducing me. It's just, you know, I tweet out if you um, if you want to have a guest speaker at your small church, I'll come fill in for you. You can't pay me. I just want to encourage small churches. Anyway. So he had planted this church. Usually it's an older church. But he had planted this church. And he said to me, he decided to get, told everyone, like there's, I don't know, less than 100 people there. Um, I decided to get in church planning. And one day I was hiking the Himalayas, which is a phrase that Ed Stetzer doesn't use a lot. And, uh, and I needed to download some podcasts. I was thinking about going into new churches. I want to find out how to plant new churches. So I Googled new churches podcasts. Now, not he wasn't Googling this podcast, but it obviously when you Google the New Churches podcast, it's the first thing that comes up. And he said, I, and I'd have no signal hiking the Himalayas. Did I mention the Himalayas? And he, uh, and he, and he puts, downloads a bunch of podcasts and he says, well, I was hiking the Himalayas, listening to the New Churches podcast, which of course at that time was me and Daniel M. hosting it together a long time ago. He said, that's when I decided that God was calling me to plant a church and he goes to tell a story. So I was like, wow, in the Himalayas. So we are so thankful that you listen to the New Churches podcast. As always, make sure you leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay. And we try to bring issues for church planners or those people who are kind of church planting adjacent is a phrase that I started using recently because it's in and around uh, church planners and church planting world. So today we want to bring in somebody who's going to talk to us about spiritual formation and we're going to kind of tie it together to church planning because I want you to hear, and I want to say this as your friend who many of you have listened to, you know, hundreds of these episodes, um, is that church planning types are not necessarily or maybe even not frequently spiritual formation types. It's sort of a different world, right? So my friend Minnie Calaguire talks about uh, candle lighters and jet fuel drinkers. And if you're a church planner, we probably put you through an assessment process to find that you're a self-starter, maybe a bit of a maverick, and then we're maybe shocked and offended why you don't necessarily tend to your own soul well. So we want to have a conversation here that'll help you on some spiritual journey for you. So Kyle Strobel is our guest. He's a writer, speaker, professor of spiritual theology at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Yes, he's one of my new colleagues, so glad to bring him on. He's the author of Formed by the Glory of God, co-author of Beloved Dust and The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. And they, of course, live here in California and teach at the Talbot School of Theology as well. So, hey, thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us and having this conversation, which which probably with an audience that is uh, not attuned or often inclined towards spiritual formation practices. Thanks so much, Ed. It's good to be with you. That's that's actually a fun audience for me. I'm excited. Good, good, good. good. And I think <laughs> it's a good uh, setup for our conversation because now it's not always true, but entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders tend to be attracted to church planning. And church planners tend to be attracted to entrepreneurial thinking. But but what we find is, just transparently, is a lot of 
washout, uh, mm-hmm. burnout, and more. Church planning attracts people. Um, I, I said on the uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that there's a body count of young pastors mm-hmm. whose ability kind of risen them to a level that their character couldn't handle. And another way you could put it is their spiritual formation wasn't aligned or attuned for. So talk to us a little bit about what spiritual formation is and why is it a crucial aspect of the Christian life? Let's start there. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I I totally say the same thing. I would even say my own life um, and in almost all of my students relate to the fact that most people who are in ministry have been pushed beyond their character. And so this is where this question is, I think, a fundamental one. Um, Spiritual formation, quite simply, is how the Spirit forms us increasingly into the likeness of Jesus. And so at, at at its kind of base, that's just what it is. So in many ways, it just is the Christian life. I I think something people often get wrong about spiritual formation is we often link it to maybe something like self-help. Back when there was such a thing called Christian bookstores, um, you might go to, you know, there was a section that would often say Christian living slash self-help. And it's like, no, that's that's not what this is. Because spiritual formation ultimately is about bearing the fruit of God in your life. And so it's going to require us to talk about things like, well, what what is salvation actually? What does it mean to be with my Lord? What does it mean when I look at my life and I realize, oh my goodness, I'm preaching and everyone's amazed by it. And yet I'm just tapping into my anger and my grandiosity and my greed to kind of fuel this ministry. Like, what do I do? Well, Spiritual is answering that question. Yeah, what do we do? Because the reality is all of us can recognize there is quite a mixture in our souls. Um, there is nothing that has been entirely kind of pre-sanctified. <laughs> I've got to come grips, I've got to come to grips with just how much of my life actually has um, kind of just been lived in the flesh and is based on my ability to wield my flesh. And I think for a lot of church planters, they tend to be savvy. Um, they tend to have a lot of people around them that have encouraged them in all sorts of really good and positive ways. You know, praise God for that. But the danger is that they find themselves wielding themselves primarily. Mm. And I think a lot of the burnout, a lot of the um, toxic things we see is when they they end up building an entire ministry and an entire life, quite honestly, not on the spirit, but on their flesh. Yeah, and I I always have struggled with the question, you know, knowing you know, looking back to my younger days, and you know, I'm 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 not. Um, I told Don I want to plant one more church, and she said we're too old to plant another church. So <laughs> there may be, I'm not saying that's true. There are church planters older than me, and I think I got one more left in me. But um, but you know, when I was younger, I look back and I I say I, I often wonder how much of that was uh, the flesh, how much of that was my need to strike out on my own, maybe prove something to people, maybe even, you know, working through childhood issues. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much of that was, you know, lest the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, those who build it. And one of the things I determined, and maybe I'm wrong, that's why you're here, is I just determined that I don't know that I can separate that, but I need to constantly be leaning and growing so that it's more more the spirit of God and less the spirit of entrepreneurial ed. So, but how how do I know? Because I, I don't know any church planner that's been effective that doesn't come with a set of uh, 
a set of a drive and a desire to to go into new places and reach new people. And uh, I think a lot of that's their wiring and their personality. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how, do, how, do, how do I find this? This Is there a balance? How do I find this? How do I think through this? Yeah, well, I, I think there is, there can be, I should say, a little bit of fantasy that sometimes comes with this in the spiritual formation conversation. And here's how the fantasy looks. Like we kind of realize like, oh my goodness, so much of my life has been my flesh or is my grandiosity or is my selfish ambition, right? Well, then the fantasy is, oh, I, I guess I just have to, I don't know, sit in silence and solitude long enough <laughs> till that's all gone. And then I'll kind of finally be able to do this right. And I think the reality is, no, it's always going to be a mixed bag. Hmm. Like it's not, un- it's not surprising that um, an entrepreneurial church planner sets out and yeah, quite a lot of that they will come to realize over time is the flesh. Well, sure. I mean, that <laughs> that's like being a teenager, right? I mean, like we have to kind of recognize developmentally, the Lord will still use that. But it needs to be a kind of developmental phase, right? Like there's nothing wrong with a teenager being a teenager. The problem is when a 50-year-old is a teenager, right? <laughs> and so it's if you have now pushed into this and you and you haven't seen and recognized your flesh and you haven't learned how to hand that over to the Lord, now we have a real problem. And I actually think, you know, it's amazing. I mean, Mars Hill is an interesting example of this where you talk to the folks around that. And it's not like this stuff came out of the blue, but early on, there were people around who were actually speaking kind of prophetically into, into Driscoll's life, or there was there was kind of a broader community there that were about different things. And it was only when he kind of refused to grow and refused to see the truth of himself, but and then got rid of all the accountability. And I think that's the real danger, that it's not surprising in these movements, particularly for church planners, that there is going to be an initial kind of entrepreneurial outset, great. But then how are you learning and growing and open to the fact that, wow, yeah, a lot of that might've been me. Praise be to God that he didn't just abandon me. <laughs> you yeah. know, how could I just, you know, abide in him now and learn and, and offer this to him? And and so I think we, it, it could be dangerous when we begin to kind of look for this overly purified state of, well, I guess I can't do, and I've met people like this now. It's almost like debilitating to them. Yeah, it's paralyzing. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that. But I guess in my world, and I think probably for more for our listeners, their danger is not the parallel. Well, maybe, maybe. I really find your, your, your description helpful. Like there's this, there's not this perfect state of spiritual at restness, not quite how you put it, <laughs> uh, that we all need to get to. But, but if we're, you know, let's, let's pretend we can do nineties that, you know, uh, I mean, we can do percent. So, you know, in my twenties, it was 90, 10 and my, you know, thirties, it was, you know, 70, 30. Uh, should we tell people that they need to get some things under control in their lives before they go out and plant churches and mess up a whole lot of people? Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, and there's certain character realities that I think, you know, I think sometimes we can kind of merge together with the entrepreneurial thing, but I don't think we should. Um, And one of the things about this that, you know, one of the things that surprised me, actually, um, it was when I was working on the way the Dragon Way of the Lamb book. I was surprised when scripture kind of warned us about false leaders. It was often things like selfish ambition, that it was naming. I think of James 3 there or or conceit like in Philippians 2. And I was like, wow, that, you know, I look back at my own life and I think, you know, I, I didn't go to seminary because I wanted to, you know, 
learn how to pray or because I wanted to learn how to grow or because I wanted to certainly not because I want to be the bedside of someone who's dying. I went to seminary because I wanted to be awesome. I wanted to be in front of crowds. And I wanted to win and I wanted to prove to everyone. And so I, you know, seminary for me actually was a really important time to realize some of that stuff about myself so that when I did strike out a bit more, I could then kind of offer that more kind of seriously to the Lord. I do think for folks, and there's going to be some of those selfish ambition, um, jealousy, envy, like those are the things that church planners really need to be wrestling with. Um, they really need to be kind of not only talking to the Lord with, but talking to their to their friends about their, their kind of elders if they haven't, like folks around them, if they're a part of a church planning organization, like you need to be aware, like here's where I really struggle. Because I think if if those things in particular are left unchecked, um, they, they actually are these root sins that bear all sorts of sinful fruit in a life. And the tragedy is that today, and particularly among entrepreneurs, if we're honest, Selfish ambition, we just kind of see as a minor thing at best, if not a problem at all. Like we might not even kind of kind of worry about that kind of a thing. And so, you know, one of the one of the kind of some of the language I've turned to over the last several years to talk about this that I find I find kind of helpful in this regard is, you know, in ministry in general, there's there's many things we know for a fact the Lord's going to be teaching us. One of those things that we all have to just name is that in our flesh, none of us are interested in walking by faith. All of us are interested in walking by sight. Remember, scripture pits those against each other in a real sense. And that means I'm going to have to kind of recognize ways that I actually want to turn to my performance. I'm going to want to turn to just kind of raw numbers. I'm going to want to turn to things that just show me, look, things are working. And I think what we've seen, um, I mean, the, the Mars Hill is a great example of this, but there's dozens and, and hundreds and hundreds of others is that you can be a profoundly sick tree and bear a lot of what on the outside looks like visibly impressive fruit. Mm. And so how do we wrestle with the fact that ultimately what I'm doing will not work and makes no sense unless the Lord is also the one doing it? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't somehow mean my actions insignificant or that I don't bring anything to the table or like, you know, again, we have a danger there of just saying, well, I guess God's going to do what God's going to do. And like, of course it doesn't work that way, but we do need to recognize that I, I shouldn't be afraid to see how, how am I tempted not to trust the Lord? How am I tempted not to church plant by faith, but to church plant by sight? Hmm. So um, dragon, lamb, strange language, and worth probably taking a moment to explain. Um, it's the title of uh, the co-authored book. And this is probably the, I think the first book of yours I read, co-authored, of course, but it's The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, Searching for Jesus' Path of Power in a Church that Has Abandoned It. Um, so, I mean, if you just don't mind, explain a little bit what you uh, are, are kind of what, what, what are you explaining here? I know I know people should get the book. Let me say again, it's the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb. So get the book, but give us a bit of what that means. And then we're going to relate a little bit to church planning. Yeah, well, that so that project um, that was um, co-written with um, one of my closest friends who's a pastor, um, went to seminary together and we felt called to write a book on power. And so as we wrestled with scripture and as we sat at the feet of people, we kind of consider sages in the way of Jesus. 
we a- we were just simply asking the question, well, what? how does scripture describe what it means to be a powerful Christian? Because we noticed among our friends, we had s- a certain groups, and unfa- unfortunately, this often falls in political lines. There's a certain group, I'll let you guess which, that that actually demonizes power, even though they scramble for it. And there's another side that just doesn't want to talk about power ever. It just says, let's just kind of not think about it. And let's kind of just trust that as long as we do it and it works, it's not an issue. But we were seminary students reading Jesus and saying, I just don't know what this means. Like, how is, how is your power made perfect in my weakness? That doesn't even make sense. Like, what does it mean to be powerful if I'm weak? And so that book really set out to explore the question of how, how do we live powerful lives how do we recognize powerful ministries? And ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to kind of how, how do I bear God's fruit as we abide? And so the way I understand spirit formation ultimately is in all that we do, we are learning to walk in Christ by the spirit to bear the fruit of Christ in and through our lives. And that means we're going to have to rethink a little bit of everything we do. And so for me as a, as a professor, I'm also, by the way, I, I should mention for the church planners out there, you know, I... I am at an elder-run church with a preaching team, so I'm actually the primary preacher at at my church. Um, I'm um, one of the the elders. We don't have any head pastors, so uh, you know we kind of oh, do the pastoral of the church. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's you know the funny thing is in seminary this was like my vision for church, and then I after seminary I kind of said, yeah, well that's one way to do church, but you know there's there's all sorts of problems with that too, and <laughs> so, you know, but I you know I, this is the church I find myself at, and. Um, so I'm very, you know, much invested in the, the question of, of the local church and preaching and these sorts of things. And, but, you know, I'm always wanting to now ask the question, you know, as a professor, you know, what does it mean to do what I do by faith? Because I, I know what it means. I, I, I have a PhD in theology. I could just walk into a room and lecture. I know what that looks like. But if I'm going to do this by faith to love God and to love my neighbor as myself, that's just a different, that's a different training. Yeah. And I haven't been trained in it. Like my education didn't help me do that. Like that, it's just in a fundamentally different sort of thing. And similarly, when in, in church, you know, I, I know how to get up in front of a group of people and preach, but but what does it mean to do, to, to kind of call them into the presence of the Lord together? Yeah. What does it mean to to love them in this act as my brother and sister? And and, and how do I shepherd a people, right? Like that's, that's a question that's going to require faith and not mere performance, um, while never undermining the fact that we need to talk about things like performance, it's not somehow irrelevant. Right. <laughs> that I, you know, that I, you know, I can't then just jettison, you know, public speaking ability or you know th- these sorts of things. Like we we have to have a very kind of full orbed conversation about these things among the church planning community. I think you're right. I think there is a more of a temptation to maybe just think about the performative aspect of the right. thing, and that's where we need to say, okay, yeah, but but how are we doing this by faith? And you know, in the the Dragon Lamb book, one of the things that really confronted me was what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, where he, where, he, where he says there's a way of preaching that undermines the power of the cross. And and that was something, as a seminary student, when I first really sat with that text, I thought, I don't even, I, I don't even have a category for that. Like, I, I'm not even sure I can name what that is. And, and then I had to come to grips with the fact that, oh, and I think I do that. Well, again, it's like, okay, fair enough. The first step is how have I actually not been living by faith? And now I've got to use this to draw near to the Lord and, and learn to abide even here. Your your new book is uh, formed for the glory of God, learning from the spiritual practices of Jonathan Edwards. I still I've I, I've not had you to my office, which is ironic because I need to show you my my first edition, 
biography of David Brainerd by Jonathan yes. Edwards, you know, sitting in the, <laughs> under the case there, just so we can we can have a, a, a geek moment about Jonathan Edwards. Mm. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that and apply that, if you will. Yeah. So again, you didn't write this book for church planners. Again, it's Form for the Glory of God, Learning from the Spiritual Practices of Jonathan Edwards. So what would you say uh, to, I mean, church planners and church planning adjacent people about spiritual formation that maybe you would exhort them towards being rightly formed for the glory of God? Yeah, well, that you know that book project kind of came out. So I'm a Jonathan Edwards scholar. So, the, so that was my PhD work. I'm a theologian and um, but part of my interest is I really wanted to recover what, if I lived 300 years ago in, in kind of the colonies or, you know, just at the turn of kind of America, like, and I was an evangelical, what would I have assumed to be true? And actually, I think for church planners specifically, that, that book can be relevant because the, the kind of colonists and the, the early evangelicals in America had a very clear vision of how the individual spirit formation and the church's spirit formation as a whole were integrated. And so I wanted to just sit and kind of wrestle through that. And so Edward's vision, which is not all that unique actually among his contemporaries. So really that book gives us a little bit of early evangelical spiritual formation. It kind of shows that actually at the end of the day, they, they really did want to integrate. Like, what are we doing in a church service? Like how, how are we learning to be listeners of the word as the word is preached and declared? How are we learning to be with one another as we're drawing near with one voice to proclaim the, the praise of the Lord? How are we ministering to one another as the body of Christ? Like how are all these things going on? So there's all these, these spiritual practices we're doing corporately together. Well, then how is that related to the individual things I do? And they kind of saw them as kind of cogs in a grand machine that needed to be, needed to mesh well for the whole thing to work. And if, if we lose either end, either the kind of the things we're doing in the church or the individual spiritual practices, then the whole thing will kind of come apart. As most preachers I know will say, they've come to realize like, no matter how much preaching I do, I can't undo the formation that is going on day in and day out in their homes what they're consuming in their, their, their media, what they're, what they're doing. You know, just, I can't undo the damage that's being done. And the Puritans kind of recognize this. And so they have this really holistic vision for how, how, how do we think about the role of scripture and a really deep meditative relation to the Lord? Um, how do I recognize in my prayer life? I can't only just kind of sit down and pray and kind of talk to God I also have to be, as Paul says in Colossians 4 too, I've got to learn how to be watchful in my prayer life. And watchfulness is this ability to recognize what my heart is doing. And you see the psalmists do this, like Psalm 62, David will pray and he'll start really boldly, you know, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then four verses later, he changes his tone a little bit and he starts talking to his soul. For God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. And as a seminary student, I read things like that and I thought, well, which is it, David? Like, <laughs> does your soul wait for God or do you need to tell your soul to wait for God? And what the Puritans recognized when they were reading these passages is that that's just not what prayer is. Like prayer is to be with your Lord and then to be watchful of the way you aren't with your Lord or the way your heart doesn't confirm the truth. And so when David prays boldly, he, he listens and his heart says, well, I don't know. Do we wait for God in silence? So I, you know, I've often prayed things like, God, your power is made perfect in my weakness. Well, there's part of my heart that says, I, I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't, not only do I not think that will work, 
I, I don't even want that to be true, you know, or the first or last or the last or first. Like they were meditating on scripture. They were praying to the Lord and they were being watchful of the truth. They weren't, and this is going to be key for spiritual formation. I think that where spiritual formation goes to die in people's lives is when they come to believe that God either doesn't want or cannot handle the truth. And that what God wants from you is a projection. He wants your, your Christian avatar to show up and impress him kind of moralistically. When the reality is, is God died for you in your sins and he wants to meet you there now. And so prayer, spiritual practices, all of them will be opportunities to draw near in the truth so that we can be open. Lord, I am preaching in the flesh. You know that. Lord, help me to draw near here. Next sermon I give, Lord, I want to offer this to you. And I want to love you here and love my neighbor as myself. And so um, I think I, I, I've actually been really taken in by early evangelicals on these things. And, you know, I should say what's interesting about early evangelicalism to me, you have two poles. You have a Wesleyan pole and a reform pole. When it came to spiritual formation, they're identical. On the ground, there really is a kind of evangelical spiritual vision that held the whole thing together. And all those debates we have about election, on the ground, those were not the issue. And we really can recover, I think, a meaningful account of, of spiritual that fueled the Great Awakening, right? That fueled this entrepreneurial spirit of early evangelicalism. And I think that getting back to that, actually, that's what we'll see. It actually won't hinder these things. It will advance them. Well, you've been listening to Kyle Strobel, helpful words of exhortation. Uh, just last, you know, just a, maybe a paragraph, Kyle, what encouragement would you give to the church planners or church planning adjacent people who are listening? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Paul's words come to mind. Do not grow weary in doing good because you will. And don't underestimate how easy it is to stop doing good because the way of the flesh will not make you weary but do not grow weary in doing good. You will bear fruit in its season. Kyle Strobel, thanks for taking time to be with us on the New Churches Podcast. Let me remind you, if you're listening, to leave a review wherever you download your podcast. We'll talk to you next time on the New Churches Podcast. You've been listening to the New Churches Podcast, brought to you by Send Network. If you like what you heard, take a few minutes to rate and review us or share this episode with a friend. It's the best way to show your support. To find more reliable resources to start your new church well, visit newchurches.com.